Pastor Ed Taylor shares this biblical encouragement as we get started. There's not a tremendous amount of believers, although there are some, but I don't meet a tremendous amount of believers that just go headlong back into the world. There are a few, and we sorrow over that because there's just nothing for them in the world, but they just make that decision and God has to bring them to the end of themselves. But I do find far more believers compromising and dabbling in things because everybody's doing it. And, you know, we're in a different environment now and different generation, Ed, and some things are more acceptable to others. And, and, and I think it's very important for you to make up your mind that even if two people or the only two people are making the right decision, that you make yourself the third. And don't worry about what other people think. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Maybe as you were going through school, you had a history teacher that would say something along the lines of, those that don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. It's a reminder that there's something important to be learned from those that have gone on before us, and not only their victories, but their mistakes. Today on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor opens 1 Corinthians 10, and we'll receive sort of a history lesson regarding the people of Israel as they were wandering in the wilderness and engaged in warfare in the promised land. Pastor Ed Taylor has noticed some practical lessons for you and me contained in these historical events. Well, even though the letter to the Corinthians is a strong, tough letter, you can't miss the heart of Paul as he wants to teach the church. There's a lot of correction in this letter because the church in Corinth had gotten off. There is a lot of instruction in this letter because just for a few decisions, it didn't take long for the church in Corinth to veer completely off. And Paul is instructing, Paul is correcting, and Paul is teaching. And it's something to grasp as you and I walk with the Lord that teaching is a very important part of growing and learning. You see in the tough times him teaching and taking the opportunity to teach because any good leader will well, that's what teachers do. They teach. Teachers look for the open doors to take any situation and take the word of God into someone's life. And that's what Paul's doing. Any spiritual leader that's growing in their leadership will take every opportunity to teach. Sometimes that teaching is in instruction where we're gaining new insights. Sometimes that teaching is in correction. And here's the rub with correction. There's not too many of us that like to be corrected. The essence of our being is that we pretty much, we think that we make good decisions pretty much all the time. That we make good decisions with pure motives. So that when the Holy Spirit brings to light some nuance and a leader or a teacher comes and says, I don't know, I don't know if that was the right decision. There is in our flesh the temptation to get real defensive about it, put up a wall and not receive the teaching. I don't know if you've noticed this, but I was reminded of it this week, is that when we look at others, our choices, we judge others by their actions. 
Have you noticed that? They do something, go, hey, how could you do that? And they don't do something, hey, why didn't you do that? But all the while, while we judge others by, the, by their actions, you know how we judge ourselves? By our motives. So that when a bad action comes, they're like, oh, you know, I really didn't mean that. And how easily we can explain it away. Someone else, they do something, hey, 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 how could you do that? And we do the same thing, well, you know, you don't know what my motive was. I really meant well. Paul's sorting all that out in the church, not only for them then, but also for us now. Of course the church needed to repent of their sins. Of course the church had to get back to basics. Of course the church needed to get back into the word. Of course the leadership needed to rise up and make wise decisions, but they also needed to be taught. And even though there is a lot of correction in the book here in Corinthians, there's also a lot of teaching. And here in chapter 10, we're going to learn a few things in our walk with the Lord. They needed to be reminded of the glorious doctrines of Jesus. Notice at the end of chapter 9, just by way of context, as they, the two chapters tie together. Remember, in the original Greek manuscripts, there are no verse numbers and there are no chapter breaks. So when you would read through the letter, you'd read from beginning to end all the way through. Most of the time, the chapter breaks are pretty good and the verse breaks are pretty good, but this one, they really go together. Notice verse 27, chapter 9. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Moreover, that word moreover is a connecting word. So it's really bringing them together. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they all drink of that spiritual rock which followed them, and that rock was Christ. So connecting the two thoughts together, it's like Paul saying, I'm careful in my life. As he begins to use his own life as an example, he says, I'm careful in my life because I want to run my race all the way to the end. I don't want to be disqualified. I don't want to do anything would bring my ministry and just erase it. I don't, I don't want to run halfway. I don't want to run three quarters. I make the decision. I, I discipline myself. I don't want to be disqualified. Moreover, don't you guys forget the lessons that there are in the fathers and our fathers that were in the wilderness. Don't you guys forget what you already have learned by all the examples in the Old Testament. Don't forget them. As you're exercising your liberty, because remember this section is about our Christian liberty. As you exercise your liberty and your freedom in the Lord, don't forget the warnings that come to us through the lives that of those that have gone before us. The children of Israel were delivered from their bondage in Egypt. It was a gift from God. They were taken out of the pit, out of the miry clay, they were promised and given a glorious promise of taking the promised land. And yet in their lives, as God made them free, they all, they all went through the same things, you notice. They, it says in verse 1, all our fathers were under the cloud. God gave them that cloud as shade and direction. When the cloud moved, they moved. When the cloud stopped by day, they stopped. And God provided protection for them from the cloud. They all, it says passed through the sea. Right when they came up to that absolute impossibility, they were trapped. There were hillsides on either side of them. They were right there up against the sea and behind them, the Egyptian army was after them. There was no way of escape. From all human perspective, they were done. It was over, but God made a way. There'll be times when you get backed up and when you get trapped. And you know what? God will make a way. We'll see that at the end of our study. God will make a way for you. He says, 
In verse 3 or in verse 2, they were all baptized into Moses. They were, they were baptized. They were brought in and identified with the life of Moses, their leader, in that cloud and in the sea. They says in verse 3, they all ate that same spiritual food. What was that spiritual food? Do you remember? It was manna. They had just enough every day. And right before the Sabbath, they were able to get two helpings full to keep them through. Every single day, they were given exactly what they needed. It says also they all drank from that spiritual drink. They had water whenever they needed it. God provided for all of their needs. They had just enough. And they says, Paul says, they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. It wasn't a rock that was moving with them, but it was a symbolic picture of the faithfulness of Jesus. Every time God met their needs, it was a picture of Jesus completely filling the needs that you have as a believer and in their lives. He was faithful to give them that rock. Not literally, but that rock was a picture, a type of Jesus, that salvation was with them every single wilderness wandering step along the way. Really what Paul's telling them is don't forget the amazing faithfulness of God. Don't forget it. In every way, God provides. Their life's also a warning. It's not just an encouragement, it's also a warning. Paul's saying, don't get so overconfident in yourselves that, that you don't yourselves become disqualified. That you choose to use your spiritual liberties in a way that you made it just so far and then you disqualified yourself. Don't become so overconfident. Okay, so God's blessing you and God's encouraging you. And God is building you up. And God is using you. And you see God's faithfulness. You can look back in your life, maybe even this week, and you can see the faithfulness of God at every step. How he's provided. How he's encouraged. How he's strengthened you. How he's helped you. How he's given you the answers. And before you become overconfident, stay dependent. Don't go off on your own. The children of Israel were delivered by the power of God. Not by their own doing. And even during the wilderness wandering, weren't those, those thoughts in their lives? You know, would you bring us out here, Moses, to kill us? Did you bring us out here to destroy us? Oh, it'd be so nice to have those onions <laughs> and those leeks. We miss the flavor in life. And all the while is there, I don't know about you, but that is often what happens in our memory. We're very selective when we think backwards. Now, you could be selective two ways. You can be selective if you're one of those types that, that just seem to always have a condemning spirit. You're always even condemning yourself. Then your selective memory will seem to only remember the bad things. Or you look back in your life in the world and how cruddy it was, how horrible it was, how you were hung over all the time. You'd wake up in your own vomit and you'd think back and, oh, it'd be so nice to go back to the party days. Oh, the smiles and the happiness and... And I'm always like, wait, don't you remember the vomit? You remember you'd wake up in places, you didn't even know where you were, you didn't even know what had happened, you felt so guilty and so messed up, you had to have people tell you what happened that night? No, remember that because you'll avoid thinking back with selected memory, oh, remember the good old days. Do you really remember? Were they all that good? They weren't. God delivered you from them. So with this faithfulness of God, in light of our freedoms, notice verse 5. But, now that is not a good, con that's not a good word to continue. Oh, look at the faithfulness of God. Look at how wonderful he is. Look what he's done to the children of Israel. But with most of them, <laughs> that's a funny statement. We'll get to that in a moment. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. 
for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. <laughs> About two to three million people were in the wilderness, wandering around after their unfaithfulness. Remember Moses sent the spies into the land? Ten came back with a bad report. Two came back with a good report. And who did the people believe? The bad report. You want to be very careful in the reports that you give because if you tend to focus on what's the negative or the difficulty, you have the, you have the possibility of stumbling someone else. And so because of the report of these ten people, they come back and the, the whole nation decides to turn their back on God. And with most of them, do you know how much most of them are out of the two to three million? All of them except for two. God was not well pleased with. So let's just say there were 3 million. So 2,999,998 were most of them. It's sort of an understatement here. Most of them God was not well pleased. They were all given the same deliverance. They were all shown the same faithfulness. They were all given the same opportunity to obey the Lord. They all received the same reports. And out of 3 million, you know, and that's a higher estimate. You could be as low as 2 million. We know from numbers that all the Jews that were 20 years old and upward who were rescued except for Joshua and Caleb died in the wilderness because of unbelief. And when you do the math, you go anywhere from 2 to 3 million. All but two made it in. I don't know how you feel about that. I'm not sure if it does anything to provoke you, but let's just put two options before you. You can be in the company of the 2,999,998 or you can be in the company of two. Does that sound familiar to you? Didn't Jesus talk to us about a wide gate or a wide road and a narrow gate or a narrow... Didn't he give us two options? One that seemed to be filled with many, many, many people and one that seemed to be filled with very, very few. And then the option was given to us, which way are you going to go? Are you going to go the narrow way? Or are you going to just go with the crowd on the wide gate? Let me bring that to a different application for you for for a second. Because it doesn't, I think, just doesn't separate believers and unbelievers, although that is the interpretation. It's definitely Jesus is talking about believers and unbelievers. But by way of application, you know what I've noticed? I've even noticed in the Christian world that there are crowds of Christians that will decide to do things that are harmful and hurtful because of their freedom. And if you're not careful, you'll follow bad habits even among believers. And you'll actually, if you're not careful, you'll actually use other believers' bad habits to justify your own bad decisions, and you'll get caught up in the crowd, even a crowd of believers. And I think in these days in which we live, God is calling us to go against the flow, not just against the flow in the world. That seems to be pretty simple. There's not a tremendous amount of believers, although there are some. But I don't meet a tremendous amount of believers that just go headlong back into the world. There are a few, and we... Sorrow over that because there's just nothing for them in the world, but they just make that decision and God has to bring them to the end of themselves. But I do find far more believers compromising and dabbling in things because everybody's doing it. And, you know, we're in a different environment now and it's a different, different generation, Ed, and some things are more acceptable to others. And, and, and I think it's very important for you to make up your mind that even if two people or the only two people are making the right decision, that you make yourself the third And don't worry about what other people think. A lot of times you get caught up in the crowd because you're so fearful of man. Fearful of what people might think. Fearful of what might happen if you take a stand. I I know there's even this attitude that, you know, wait a minute, Ed. If I take a stand in my group of friends, I'm not going to have friends anymore. Are they really your friends if you take a stand for the things of the Lord and they abandon you? 
and they come against you and they make fun of you? I mean, is that really the kind of people you want to be surrounded with? Oh, look at you, Mr. Holy. No, I just don't want to get drunk. Oh, Mr. Holy. What do you mean, Mr. Holy? It's just like ABCs of walking with the Lord. Don't be drunk with wine. It's like ABCs. It's not even college-level stuff in walking with the Lord. But because there are those that don't want to, the Bible says that evil company corrupts good habits. It doesn't matter if it's unbelievers or believers. Evil company corrupts good habits. And if you and I think that we can surround ourselves and be fed with and and just constantly be hanging with people that don't want to walk with the Lord, I'm telling you, you're eventually not going to walk with the Lord just like them. Oh, no, Ed, I'm going to change them. Probably not. Possibly, maybe. Probably, no. They'll impact you more than you impact them. Sure, you want to stay close enough to minister to them, to be available to them. But Peter even talked about not running in the same ways that you used to run. You just don't do that stuff anymore. It's just not for you. And here they are, two of them, just two, Joshua and Caleb, make a good decision. Paul's making an important distinction for us that we can't miss with the children of Israel in this warning. And that is the wandering in the wilderness and the warfare in the promised land were not just historical events that took place way back then that we can look at and go, oh, that was great, nice history lesson. There are also practical lessons for you and I to learn today. How do we know that? Well, look at verse 6. It says, now these things, speaking to those historical events, the wanderings of the wilderness, the warfare in the promised land, he says, now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. We are to learn from them and take heed from the Old Testament examples. These things... He's talking specifically about the wilderness wandering. Our study through the book of Numbers that we did many years ago here on a Thursday night. We looked at the book of Numbers. We looked at the wandering. We saw how how faithful God was and how unfaithful the people were. And he says, listen to the lessons. And if you want to jot them down, there's a few lessons that he wants us to take home tonight. A few things that are specific examples And the first one is found in verse 6. It says, These things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Almost immediately when the word lust comes up, what do you think of? Sexual sin. But that's not what he's talking about here. Lust is any strong, overwhelming desire. And yes, there is a lust that refers to sexual sin, but that's not what he's speaking of here. Even as the, as the lust is connected to sexual sin in other parts of the Bible, it's not so. This was a lust for food. They lusted after food. They were given faithfulness in manna. You can jot it down in Numbers chapter 11. They were given the faithfulness of manna every day. And you know what? They got tired of the manna. They got tired of God's faithfulness. And I wonder how often we get tired of the faithfulness of God. You know what happens? We get bored. It's the same old thing. Same thing. Every day, same, different day, same thing, different day, same thing. God had provided everything, whatever that was. You know, manna literally meant, what is it? So as it showed up, what is it? Oh, we'll call it that. And every morning they had, what is it? What is it for breakfast? What is it for lunch? What is it for dinner? They were, everything, and, and the miracle of this stuff is it had every single thing necessary to sustain their body. It was incredible. It was from God specifically, only for them. And they got tired of it. And they began to passionately desire 
meat. And you remember the story. God said, you want meat? I'll give you meat. He gave them so much meat, it started to come out of their nostrils. That's pretty nasty. But that's what the psalmist says. The psalmist says that God has, sometimes he'll give you your request and send leanness to your soul. And the warning is, don't lust. Be careful. Be content. Because lust led to the second one that were warned about in their lives in the order that Paul puts them together. After lust in verse 7, he says, do not become idolaters as were some of them. We know that in Exodus chapter 32, they were idolaters very, very quickly. The people who were free in God's will, they decided instead of waiting patiently for Moses at Mount Sinai in a drunken, wild, idolatrous party at the base of the mountain, they quickly turned their back on God. He says, don't do it. Don't become impatient with the faithfulness of God, worshiping a golden calf out of jewelry. And you're like, come on, Ed, I'm not going to worship any golden calf. I take the warning, no problem. But there's a lot of other options in idolatry for us today. Most likely in who we are and how we were raised, there's most likely we're not going to be bowing down to little statues and little idols. But there are a couple temptations I've noticed that are presented to us all the time. One of them is this idolatry that comes toward the people that God uses. And you start to worship the instrument instead of the hand in which the instrument is in, whether it's a pastor, teacher. I mean, really, how often, how often in your own life or have you heard someone refer to a church by the pastor's name? Oh, I go to Ed's church. This isn't Ed's church. Don't refer to it that. It's not Ed's church. I don't want it. <laughs> you belong to the Lord. But how easy it is. You know, oh, that, you know we, we, we go to that guy's church. No, no, you go to a fellowship family where a pastor is being used by the Lord. It doesn't belong to that pastor. It doesn't belong to that teacher. How often do you catch yourself quoting a pastor or your favorite Bible teacher on the radio instead of quoting the Lord? Now, you may not be in an idolatrous place with them, but you're close. I find that idolatry is also a temptation in the musical realm. Christian music, Christian artists. And although I think God is using men and women in the realm of Christian music in a wonderful way, all the glory goes to the Lord, not to the people in the, that are being used by the Lord. And we have to be careful. This is Abounding Grace, and you're listening to a message from pastor and Bible teacher Ed Taylor, taken from our series in 1 Corinthians. You can hear a replay of this message when you go online to calvaryco.church. Well, Pastor Ed, as we're just entering into the summer months, I'm sure many of our listeners will be taking some time off and vacationing. It's a good time to pull out a book or two, and we've got a good one to recommend this month, don't we? Well, Larry, I am blessed to be able to offer a very good friend of mine's book entitled Holy Land Key by Ray Bentley. You know, Ray Bentley is a pastor of Maranatha Chapel in San Diego, and, and he is passionate about a lot of things. And the thing that he's most passionate about, apart from his walk with the Lord, is prophecy and the nation of Israel. And he put together this book not too long ago, Unlocking End Times Prophecy Through the Lives of God's People in Israel. And it's the 
eye-opening book of little-known aspects of prophecy, like God's master plan revealed through the seven feasts of the Lord, the ingathering of God's people, and the ways Israelis are hearing God today, uh, significant prophetic patterns discovered through the lunar cycle, awe-inspiring testimonies of God's glory spelled out in the night sky. And some of this will be a fresh insight. It'll be different than what you have uh, normally heard, as he has devoted now 30-plus years of his life to studying prophecy. And so I suggest to you and hope you get it, whether you get it to support the ministry here or you get it on Amazon, just get it and grow in your understanding of God's plan for Israel and God's plan for the church as grafted in to God's master plan as his hearts turn to the Gentiles today. So get the book, The Holy Land Key by Ray Bentley. Of course, supporting abounding grace is so vital and so important. But even if you don't support us, it's okay. Get the book. So thanks for asking, Larry. These are great resources that we have handpicked, that I have handpicked, to help people build their spiritual library. We'll send this your way when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Give us a call at 877-30-GRACE or make a secure donation online at calvaryco.church. Don't miss our next study in 1 Corinthians with Pastor Ed Taylor tomorrow on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.